Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. And last night I, uh, I saw a screening of the new David Bowie documentary, Moon Age Daydream. Um, it's long. It's two hours and 20 minutes. It's sometimes a little boring, but more often it's incredible. And if you're in need of some inspiration for your creativity, the interviews with Bowie will really deliver so much profundity from David Bowie in this movie. I really recommend it. Uh, This is the after show for Electric Youth, featuring my interview with David Iserson. As always, it's best to listen to the table read first. You probably know that by now. David's got a ton of amazing credits from SNL, the New Girl, the Mad Men. We get into a lot of them. Um, We talk about some great advice he got from Matthew Weiner when he was on Mad Men and how that show is actually much more of a comedy than people realize. David gives us his trusted metaphor for how to know whether an idea is a keeper. Uh, He also shares an absolutely insane note that he got from the network on this pilot. Um, It's one for the Crazy Note Hall of Fame, for sure. Well, one small thing, neither of us could remember the actress who played the lead in the freeform version of Angry Angel, which was one of our first dead pilots. Uh, That actress was Brenda Song. Uh, Also, David didn't mention this, but he has a new movie going into production uh, he's teaming up again with his friend uh, Susanna Fogel, who directed The Spy Who Dumped Me. She's directing this. It's called The Mentor, and it sounds like it's going to be great. Uh, here's my interview with David Iserson after a brief message. It could happen to you. You're all grown up now, a professional adult with diverse interests and hobbies. And one of those hobbies is video games. You just can't help it. They're so good now. If that's you, we're here to tell you, you are completely normal. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And together we form Triple Click, a podcast about video games. If you think you might be a person who likes video games, we hope you'll give Triple Click a listen. Triple Click, new episodes every Thursday on Maximum Fun. David. Thanks. You've you've put up with a lot. We don't need to bore the listener with all of our technical uh, issues we've been having, but suffice to say, you've been very patient with us. We've had some issues. Thank you. (laughs) Patience with technology is something I've become very adept with, particularly the past few years. Yeah. All right. So before we get into electric youth, um, let's uh, let's just talk about how you got your start in showbiz. Showbiz. Sure. You, you grew up where? Um, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from central New Jersey, Freehold, New Jersey. I um, I got started, I mean, I guess I was like a, I was an art kid and a theater kid and a, in a town with a lot of not arty kids and theater kids. But um, I, um, I, I went to school. I went to Northwestern. I, I studied um, radio, television, film, and um, I came out to LA afterwards. I bumped around as an assistant. Uh, my first professional writing job um, was on Saturday Night Live. I had been doing improv and I'd been writing features, like on you know, like not not for money. And um, a 
writer on a show on a short-lived show that I was um, a writer's PA for uh, connected me with somebody at SNL who I could send uh, weekend update jokes to. I could what they call joke faxing. I don't know if they still call it that. It wasn't even faxing then, but they were still calling it joke faxing. And um, I'd got enough jokes on the air that that I got hired. So that was that was my first job. And I, I uh, lasted a um, unspectacular year um, at, at <laughs> SNL. Uh, an un, I had an unlegendary performance at SNL. And but that was that was my first professional writing job. And um, since then, I kind of bounced between balancing TV jobs and feature jobs ever since. Um, yeah. So a, a bunch of questions. First, what was the short-lived show you were PAing on? Because I love hearing about like- I was, uh, it's it's funny because it also is a is a time travel show. I, I, I have very, um, I have a lot of like, I, I, I've, I've, this is not my, my first time travel pilot, not my last time travel pilot. And also I worked as a, as a assistant on, the, on an, another time travel show. It was called That Was Then. Um, it was a one hour ABC dramedy. Um, it, I, the concept is, is, is a guy, um, is able to go back in time to his life in high school and then at the end of every episode, he goes back to the present and he sees what he has messed up by, you know, like trying to get the girl, whatever, and and what what he lost. And so he's got to go back again. So it's it's huh. it's it's it, in an episodic, <laughs> a very episodic version of a time travel show. I think I think it aired I... aired for three episodes. I think we shot they shot eight. OK, I got to admit, I don't remember it. Um and and what was that 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 unspectacular year at SNL like? You know, having never been on a, any show like that, and having well, heard it, it's, stories it's, about how cutthroat and just how how tough. I mean, it is. I've had what a do you lot remember of from it. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of jobs, and it's the only job that I still have like nightmares about. But it's not to say that it was all a nightmare. It was really exciting. Um, it was. You know, it's 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 unlike any other job. And I think that if I was to do it again, which I would not do it again, but if I was to do it again, I think I could have relaxed a little bit more because I think there was a was a real vibe that at least I'd either built up in myself or that like was the energy of the job that like if you fail here, you'll never work again. And so I I just there was there was a lot of you know, there, there's a lot of sketches written every week and, and um, only a few slots. And I, you know, I, I worked really hard because I just wanted to like, make sure I got a joke in an idea. I, I got something in every episode. I'm not even positive that was um, like the necessary things to focus on. I think my, I think my social, my, my social game at SNL, I mean, I was, I was very young. I was, I was 25 when I got the job and, oh, wow. um, and I think I was the youngest writer there. And I also like, I think I, I looked really young too. And I, and, and I, I think it would have been different if I was like a, um, like a prodigy, like if, if I, if I was, you know, um, like my, my, my friend, Simon Rich, who came after me, who's also, who was younger than me when he got the job and, and, um, 
also looks very young. Like I think he's a prodigy at writing sketches. And I, I was not, I was, I was good and maybe not spectacular. So I, I think there was something, there was a learning curve that I, I, I think that I maybe couldn't take up. Like, I, I, I think I just couldn't quite totally figure out how to manage everything, every, every sort of, uh, political game that needed to be played there. It, it, I'm glad I did it. And um, it it taught me how to write a joke really fast, which which really doesn't always help. And the, most of the time, most of the things I write are like a, a little bit more, um, more, more dramas or dramedies. But, um, but being able to write a joke immediately on the fly, sometimes like on a cue card going to air is, is a good skill to have. And uh and I'm glad that I sort of was able to hone it there and young. Yeah, yeah, definitely um, trial by fire and just having that skill is, is huge. And then, so the first narrative show that you worked on, was that United States of Terra? Was that the yeah, first so that was, that was the first. And then I moved to a network, sitcom, Up All Night and, and New Girl. And then um, from there, I shifted to, to drama. I worked on Mad Men. I worked on... Mr. Robot. Um, I worked on Mozart in the Jungle. I'm losing track of all the work. <laughs> it's, it, there's there's a few. Yeah, there's, so it, tell gets, me about it gets that. a little money there. <laughs> tell me about that that leap, though. So, I mean, you're coming out of. I mean, I know Tara is kind of a. Tara was a one hour, right? But no, Tara was, was a Tara was a half hour. Oh, Tara was a half hour. Okay, but with like a lot, a lot about a lot about trauma and mental illness and <laughs> um and i think the scripts that i a lot of the stuff that i would do on my own like a lot of my unproduced um features and pilots kind of kind of like towed the line of um comedy and drama and uh so i i think that i was on shows that were when i was on like comedy comedies i was on shows that were probably more more specifically comedy than like I would write if left to my own devices when I was on shows like Mr. Robot it was shows that would be a little more dramatic than I would have done um left to my own devices I, I was just on the last season of Mad Men and the, the Mad Men was a was a good kind of bridge to it because it is a drama but a, most like half the writing staff had come from a comedy background and the scripts read always a lot funnier in the table reads and kind of through the filter of the of the show they you know it it played more like wit than like jokes but you'd almost would approach it in a in a comedy way uh because i guess because matt weiner was a half it was a sitcom yeah, writer he was before. a sitcom writer yeah <laughs> that's interesting so those so the Mad Men table reads were were way funnier than the show like the show felt watching it on tv Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's it. And, and yeah. And I think all of the sort of banter of sort of creative advertising people, like all had the rhythm of jokes because they were, I, I think the lesson, um, the good lesson, I think when I, when I wrote my first draft of, of the episode that I, I, I wrote for Mad Men, I, the, I think the note that I got back from, from Matt Weiner was, and it was really helpful note that I, I think about a lot is that, um the characters can all be funny and the characters can all tell jokes just no one else in the scene can serve as a like a like no one is there to set up that joke 
as it would be in a in a in if you're writing a sitcom that that you would try to make one line feel like it is a, a joke on another line and, and you would have the the two characters kind of function in that way. Everyone can be funny, but everyone has a completely independent need in that scene for their dialogue than to allow the other person to make their joke. Huh. So yeah, you're never writing like a setup. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then you, uh, you have an interesting relationship to Dead Pilot Society because people are always asking me the number one question that I get asked is like, have any of these pilots and I, did, I work, been, did I work on the only one? You were ever been picked up and like made, and I'm like, yes, with an asterisk, because the only one is Angry Angel, which was one of the early ones we did. Will Gluck uh, wrote that script, and it was made into what? Uh, how? Uh, uh, yeah, a um, a freeform, um, a freeform made for freeform uh, Christmas movie that I, I mean, I worked. It's, I mean, it's Will's script. It, it's hard to like say I, I, I wrote it or I co-wrote it. I mean, it, it, it really was kind of taking the script that he wrote, which was a pilot and trying to uh, just figure out a, a second half of it really to make it, to, 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 to land it as a, as a movie. It was a, it was a, yeah, it was a fun, um, it was a pretty easy job because most of the work had been done because the, the pilot was, was done. It was funny. And it was, it was, it was a, a, a great script. And so I, I just, I think Will was directing something in Australia, so there, he couldn't do it. So, so I, I think I was, um, yeah, I was, I was brought in to do that. And, uh, and yeah. And I, I guess it, when I saw it pop up on the dead pilot society, I think I was actually in the middle of, of writing it and I was like should I should I listen to that episode and see see have the actors in my head and the interpretation and see what happens but I I, I think I I think I didn't listen to it till till after it was done um it's a good one you know Aubrey yeah. Plaza was uh she was yeah great. yeah yeah, yeah that, she would have been great in that role who, who ended up playing the role in the freeform um it's I forgot um, her name. Um, she she is the actress married to Macaulay Culkin. Um, and I I've I've I'm, lost I, her name. All right, I'm blanking too. We 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 don't have to look it up. But um, all right, and then on to my teenage daughter's favorite movie of all yes. time, which is The Spy Who Dumped Me, uh, which is great. I love it too. I've seen it a couple Thank times. You. It's so funny. Can you tell me about making that? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, so much of my, so much of like what I do in my career is like either a um, reaction to like getting a bit of inspiration from like a, from like a letdown or, 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 or something, you know, tr trying to like channel, um, feelings that would maybe just be like rage and misery into something else. So like, I think my, my career is littered with a lot of like dead pilots and I, um, I was working um, with my friend, Susanna Fogel. We were, we were working on other things, but we would, we would try to keep ourselves honest and, and go to coffee shops together and work on our own stuff. And I think we both had like a big, career setbacks at the same time. There was a 
another pilot of mine that um, I really loved that um, that suffered a, a a sad death, and she had a similar heartbreak. And I think that sort of came out of a let's you know let's uh, let let's turn these sort of feelings and emotions we're feeling and just write something really fun that we could shoot that we you know I, I think we were we had loftier. The, the lofty goals we had for it ended up working out, which almost never happens. We were just, we just said, let's come up with like a big poppy idea and that will take us somewhere around the world and, and just write it and then, and then figure out how to make it. And unlike anything else that has ever happened to me, it was, it was really a year from us sitting down and having that conversation to us being in, uh, in Budapest, making that movie. That's incredible. I mean, that's just such a great story about how to deal with setbacks. Yeah, it was really fun. And I've like since tried to, it, it's it's advice I've tried to take since then that like every time something, every time I get a piece of like bad news that is out of my control, then I will just try to channel that into something else, something positive. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, people who aren't in this business, it's just so hard for them to to really grasp. I think someone, you know, you've got an amazing resume and people look at it and it just seems like, you know, new girl to madman to, you know, a spy who done me this you know, movie gets made and it just seems like, um, you know, this is success upon success upon success. And I don't think people realize like no one's career actually looks like that in between all these things are failed pilots are you know, yeah ends. it really it really is a it, it's it's a recognition that in a lot of ways you are starting all over again most of the time and and it's some of it is just a matter of like can you be built for that i mean it's you know there's 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 a whole piece of it that is like you know are you a good writer do you have good stories can you execute a great script and then you know the other part that's um you know that's whatever the politics or being good good in a room or all, all, all that stuff that i i'm you know hit or miss on and then the third part i think is just like the psychology of it like are you i've i've been around enough talented people in my life who ultimately i think just can't stomach couldn't stomach that part and i don't fault them for a second but there is a a part of it where it's just you know you in order to have a lengthy career of any sort except for I guess a few exceptions of people for whom it is always golden and and I and I don't even know if that's real or if that's just optics if some people just make it seem like everything just goes smoothly but I think that it it's it's the ability to to keep working in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way. I mean, sometimes for me, it's unhealthy too, just like the, you know, not being able to mourn losses and, and then just kind of finding ways to, to still channel that and to, to get back to work. But it is, it is somehow being able to, to continue to do it, even though it, it's, there's, there's going to be rejections. I mean, there's going to be, um, and then even in every success, there are little reject, you know, actors passing, um, studios pass, like, like it, it, anything good that happens still is, is, is not going to be a straight line. And it's, it's, 
interesting. It was interesting. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but like picking the pilot f- to share with you guys was, I mean, I have, I have a lot of dead pilots, but it, this was the only one that I felt was like truly dead because I can't let the other, like the other ones are like, well, I can probably find a way to figure out how to breathe life into it. This is the only one I think is truly dead because of like, I mean, I guess there were other ones that are truly dead because they're like, I don't own the rights, but this one was truly dead because like, I was like, oh, mathematically, I can't make this pilot work anymore. Like this was, this was, this, this, this was written in the exact last year that I could have written the pilot. So the past could have lined up with the present, et cetera. So I was like, all right, this one's dead. I can put this one to sleep. I can send this one to you guys. Meaning like if it's done now, then the high school age is, is something that you don't feel nostalgia it, for. Yeah, it's like, it, it would it would have to either the characters would have to be older, which I don't think makes sense in the character's journey. And or the nostalgic part would have to be the early 2000s, which is just not a, it, <laughs> it's just is a different story. And I think there was something really connected to uh, the time when the characters were in the past where um Time travel was a was a was a pop culture idea. Like these would have been kids who would have seen Back to the Future in theaters and cared about the idea of of, of time travel. And I, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't have made as much sense to me. And I wouldn't have been able to make it tell the same story if it happened later. Right, and, and making it a double period piece where the pre- where the present is yeah. also the past would also yeah be kind that of that that, that would have that would have been yeah that would have not made it made any points whatsoever probably. <laughs> so okay, let's so let's talk. So first of all, I, I assume it's a Debbie Gibson um, reference. The the title. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have a real tendency to. Um, like when I can think of titles, I, I go through, I go through songs and I was like, yeah. So, so I was, I was looking, I mean, this is, this would have been a, a song that pre, you know, that, that would have been in the earlier childhood of the characters because the past is set in 95. And I think that song is, is late eighties, but I was like, oh, electric, it's about youth. It's about technology. It, it somehow, somehow merged it. The, the font of the cover I, I picked, like the Nirvana font, so I could kind of like make it make it not not feel like the 80s and make it feel like the 90s. But yeah, <laughs> but that's that was the reference. Um, and so you're saying that this was I love how you say sort of based uh, on a real unreal events. It is absolutely based on a true story. Yes. <laughs> and and and, and uh, yeah, I mean, when you when you pitch pilots and you're supposed to like tell a personal story, you know, and it, it, it would have been. Yeah, I, I think normally it would have I would have been really struggling to 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 do it. But no, this was this really came about because I had a friend. And he and I, I mean, in in uh, elementary school, were seriously talking about building a time machine, and in a way that I, I think, on some level, knew that this was imagination and friendship. But I think with him, he was taking it very seriously, and um, yeah, and I reconnected with him later in high school, and he was still into it, and and I I never heard from him again, and he's ungoogleable for, for various reasons. So it was, it was the scenario. I, I, I was, I was telling somebody the story in college and, I, and, and that person said, you know, made a joke about him showing up the same age because he had successfully made a time machine. And I, I just kept that idea 
in in my brain I'm like I should write that as a movie or write that I mean I, I wasn't thinking pilots then but I should write that as a movie someday yeah that it's it's so great I mean was he like a science kid was he reading like no Stephen no, Hawking or was he no, was just <laughs> no he, he just I, I I think I think everything everything is sort of possible when you're young I I mean I, I think about how how many kids when I was like growing up, when they were like thinking about what they wanted to be when they grew up and how many like, how many like boys in my class, you know, just, just were like, well, I mean, I'll, I could be on the Mets or I could be a doc. Like the idea of like the truly impossible things when you grow up, you, you know, the, the rare jobs that you, there's no way that anybody in my Hebrew school was going to be on the Mets, but like at least five kids thought they were going to be like <laughs> as a real option because you have the options you have in front of you. and building a time machine seems as likely as anything else because like people build stuff, people invent stuff. I, I, I think, I think it's, it, it, all it kind of, and even us like watching movies at the time, I think all of them were just sort of built on an idea that like, there's a key, there's a, there's a solution. There is a, there's a, there is like, there is, you know, one, one little thing that is going to happen and that will unlock because I, you know, if I get some divine inspiration and I'll figure it out. And, um, and I, and I, and I think that is sort of how a lot of people I remember are like our minds working, like there, there's no, no reason not to, not to think it couldn't have happened at some point. And what's great is what you said about pitching because I don't know if everyone realizes this, but when you're pitching a pilot, there's really an expectation that you are explaining why it's really personal to you and why mm -hmm. it's a story only you can tell. And that becomes very difficult when you have a high concept idea, which, you know, high concept pilot ideas come in and out of favor. They're usually out of favor. Um, but they were out of, they were out of favor when I, when I, <laughs> when I sold this clearly. Too. But you know, that, that you had a way to, to pitch a high concept idea and make it seem like it was a personal story. Um, it is great. I mean, that's a sort of brilliant way to be able to pitch this. First of all, it seems like it's true. You weren't just like pulling this out of your ass you know this yeah like... <laughs> yeah and it's still it's still even if I you know and then when I kind of pitch high concept things now I, I lean more into what the allegory is saying and the allegory is also things that were personal to me I mean the 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 arc of the character of like um of kind of wrestling with where she is in her life versus her expectations I mean it, it just felt like a thing that is is something that everybody wrestles with at a certain, I like, I don't know anybody who doesn't wrestle with that. And I feel like that's a theme that I, that comes up in all of my work in some way or another, just, just uh, people reconciling um, what the, is their life enough? And, 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 and what do I do now? And, you know, like, like reflecting on, what what they hoped and, and what the realities are and so I think even if I had if I had no ties to to time travel I could have probably built something personal out of like the character journey and um and then come back and said and this high concept is how but yeah I, I uh, but I I did have a have a real connection to time travel and I and I think that and and like I had said er earlier it's it's not the only time travel pilot I've even written because it it is a thing that keeps 
coming up in different ways in, 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 in my work and what I'm interested in. And it's, it's a way of talking about nostalgia. It's a way of talking about regret. And it is, it is a, it, it is both like a wish fulfillment and a curse. And, and I don't know, there's just like a lot of story to be told in, 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 you know, through that device, this was a time travel story, unlike a Back to the Future, that is almost entirely in the present. So it's not really about, um, it, it's not messing with the past. It's not about, it's not about like, the, the you know, um, you know, like, like rifts in time space continuum. It's just simply about like, facing somebody who is a reminder of a time gone by and, and, and then having to like, place that in your present tense it seems like you, you sort of close down quickly the ability for him to go back you know um and any things like that any sort of going back and the future has changed the past or any of those kinds of things were sort of shut down and the show was really going to take place yeah you imagine you know pretty much in the present where how much were you imagining as the series went on you were going to be flashing back to 1995 I mean, almost none. I mean, I think in success, I I, I think in the pitch, I'd, I'd imagined that the show, like the time machine would eventually work bringing her back as an adult to her past and, and having, like when I first thought of this as a movie, I think that was the third act of the movie was was going to be the adult version, like facing her adolescence in 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 the time you know, go, going back and, and and something happening with that. But I think the flashbacks were there. Um, I, I think the flashbacks would eventually just sort of peter away in the present tense of the story because right. I don't I don't think they were serving anything beyond exposition in the pilot, really. Right, establishing these relationships. And um, so I forget, did, did you write that feature or did you just sort of- I- I wrote versions of the feature. I'd mostly written it as a pitch and I, I, I didn't really, and oftentimes when I, when I, when I pitch things, particularly features, like I write some of it because I need to know how the characters speak. I need to understand like where the jokes come from or, you know, what the tone is. And so I think when I, when I pitched this as a show, I had already written it. I, I like I had wrote it in the process of putting together the pitch. I just didn't tell any. I, I didn't send it out as a spec. I just I didn't tell the the people listening that I had already written it. But I had to I had to write it in order to understand it. Yeah, I I relate to that so much. It's really for me the same way. Like until I start writing dialogue and know how the characters sound like everything is just sort of mush and ephemeral and i think the process the way it works where you endlessly work on these outlines and you finally get an outline approved and then you can write it's just like you're starting at zero really because the outline didn't tell you anything about yeah how, yeah how to and, write it. yeah and for me it also just it it, it keeps it from because it's really easy in a pitch to to fall into just like a, a pretty broad stereotype of a character because you're explaining them in three words and you're really kind of leaning into like real joke jokes because you're trying to make the executives laugh but it, it all it all makes 
some sense for the pitch. But then when you sit down to write it, you're like, oh my God, who are these people? How do, how do they have an emotional journey? These are just like, these are just like, you know, you know, I, and, and I'm, I, I'm also like really allergic to like, trying to tell them to picture out, even though that like helps in a pitch to like think this person, because I think that really helps the executives, but then you're also then just stuck with like, wow, now I'm just like, I, I have like, I've pitched them like what the character's face looks like and, and maybe, <laughs> and maybe their voice a little bit. And then, and then, it, and then you're even like three steps back. Yeah. And I always think how tired they must be of hearing like picture Jason Bateman, you know, with, yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, so was it working title? Was that who was the production company on this? Yeah, it started, it, it was um, three arts where I'm represented. Um, we, we went out with it and working title eventually um, was one of the um, pods we pitched to and they came on and, and uh, yeah, so, so it was, it was, it was three arts and working title and, uh, and we pitched all, all, and it was, it's the only, I think, network show I pitched uh, before or since so yes yeah, so then we we hit all the hit all the networks and landed at NBC. okay and in that pitch like so you've alluded a little bit to where you saw it going but like how much of the season or series had you kind of sketched out i didn't um i, I i'm I mean, it's, it's now like coming on like seven years ago. So I, I mean, it is, it's, it's a very, I'm not remembering it clearly, but um, yeah, I, I, I think that it was what I set up in the pilot, which was Charlie going to school, um, Britt working at the school, Charlie having a romantic relationship with, um, with Britt's daughter, like those are those were the sort of pieces I was going to kind of explore um, throughout the season with having also like this this sort of running science fiction element of the story, which was which was like trying to repair the time machine, trying to go back, Charlie contending with um, feelings of guilt when he realizes that his parents were affected by his loss, and and so those those were were going to be the sort of like overriding sort of arcs throughout the course of, of the season. Um, and then, but beyond that, I, yeah, I think, I think it is, it, it became kind of just a, a, a show about, you know, a, a, a friendship show based, you know, a, right. a show about this woman and her and, and a complicated friendship with, with, uh, with a 16 year old from the past. Right. I, it's the parents, you know, Charlie's parents is is interesting how you might have dealt with that. Because in the pilot, you sort of, you know, there's a line in there like, oh, they probably are just noticing now, you know, there's yeah. sort of implying that they were very checked out parents. But boy, does that seem like that would have been, you know, parents who lost a child. Yeah, know? no, it would have been a big deal. And and I think I think they wouldn't be easy to find. And so I think there, there would have been at least a, like Charlie reconciling the fact that he did just abandon them and that they, there, there was pain related to it and the mystery of where they are, you know, of where his family ended up. Um, I think he, I, I, I had him have a sibling. And so there would have been just a, you know, a, a storyline that would have allowed him to sort of reconcile with that and, and to kind of try to heal his family by showing up once again. Right. And that 
the Harper and Charlie relationship is so interesting and messy. And you know, yeah. that seems like, boy, there's so much to mine there with Brit's weird feelings for. Yeah. Yeah. Cause on paper it's, it's like, it's, it's, it, it feels, you know, it feels like, it, but it's not really inappropriate. Because, I mean, they are the, about the same age, regardless of the year that, that Charlie was born and has passed. So it, it, there is a, I think, a, just a, a a lot of comedy and interest in in a teen romance where they are just f- fully completely different worlds, like fully completely different pop culture and and um, and just ideas about how the world works. But that they, but at their heart, they're just you know they're both people going through similar times in their life and angst. And what was NBC in the development process? Like, do you remember what kind of notes you were getting? From yeah, them? so I, I got one insane note, which was, um, oh, yeah, I mean, they kept saying, this is such a big swing. This is such a big swing. And like hearing it again, I'm like, I don't think it's a big, I, I think there's, there, that's a, that's a development term that, yeah. that I think, that I think you hear a lot. And I think it was, I mean, I think, I think other than it being a high concept, it feels like a relatively small swing. And even in the, like the years since it, it was on, you know, I, there, there have just been so many bigger swings. And I think, I think there, you know, it's, it's, it's just sort of a little bit of a fear of audience or fear of their bosses or whatever, but, or, or just a fear of confusion. I mean, I think things were over-explained in the pilot probably more than I to my liking, just to make sure everything, all the rules were clear. But the one crazy note I got was, could we try this without time travel? And <laughs> I, I had already, I turned in a draft and that, and, and that was a real, um, it was a really educational moment in trying to understand what the note behind the note was, because um, it, the note behind the note, I think, was it uh, uh, the about a boy show was on at the time, um, and there there was something about the the relationships between the characters that that made it at least to the executives look a little aesthetically too much like that, and and I don't know, I can't remember why. Can we try it without time travel? Solved that for them, but what also solved it for them was could I make Charlie two years old can I make him definitely a pubescent teenager as opposed I think he might have been in middle school in the first draft or something it, it was too close in age to the character in about a boy and and they're like oh yeah yeah that solves it too so so that that was a good luck because I think I would have been tearing my my hair out of knowing that the pilot was fully doomed you know something conceived as a time travel pilot and trying to figure out how to surgically take that out I there, there would have been no, there would have been no shot. There would have been no show. So, so it was, uh, I think it was, it was a, um, I think it was just sort of like a weekend of, I, I had some very smart writer friends of mine, like, like sit in my living room and talk about it. And I think, and, and I, I at the end of it, they're like, well, why don't you just make him 16? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then, and then <laughs> I did it. Yeah. Oh, I have a stomach ache just, sort of imagining getting that that note I mean of course you got that note it's at some point but right but Jesus I mean there's just there's no way there's a, there's absolutely no way to do no way. this no. show without time travel it is 
just what the show was, what right. the show is. It's so yeah. When you when you're like like the like something that's in the first three or four words of the log line when you're asked to switch that out or delete. Like yeah, you're I, I don't yeah you don't know what you're playing with. You, you are like what could I possibly do? But yeah, I mean, but I think we've all been there with different versions of that with like getting notes that that maybe seem small to an executive but it's actually just you're, you're asking for an entire dna switch of the show that you're making this was just an extreme example yeah um so i mean having worked in you've done drama you've done half you know comedies and films and you know you've been in rooms and written like what's your you know what's your preferred mode like um i i i mean i I'm agnostic about half hour versus hour. I, 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 I'm really happy doing either, but I do, I like, I like writing, writing a show with jokes and emotions. So <laughs> I, whatever that, whatever that would be, I have, um, I have two pilots in development now. They're both hours. One is, a fantasy and one is like a period action comedy. Um, and, um, you know, it's, I mean, they're both, they're both, they both make sense to me because I, I know who the characters are and, and it's all sort of like a prism through which I can just like, you know, somehow find a way to write about the things I like to write about. I, 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 the, like the very like sweaty metaphor that I always think about with, with like coming up with an idea is like, um, you know, is, is your idea is like, your concept is like a coat hanger and, um, and on it, if it allows you to hang all of the, it, this is in this metaphor, you hang things on a coat hanger. So I don't know what it's a very, it's a very sweaty. It's metaphor. like maybe a clothesline. No, but I'm picked. I always picture it as a coat hanger. Okay. And it allows you to hang all of these other things that all of all the other things you like fit on this, you know, then you've come up with like a good idea. If, 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 if it allows you to, to put the kinds of characters, the kinds of jokes, the kinds of emotions, the kinds of like plot, Hot twists that all are the things that you lean to, then you've, you then you have a strong code <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, that just sounds like a clothesline to me. <laughs> it is absolutely a clothesline, but it's just it's it's something for whatever reason. It 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 was like in my first yeah. It it was um it was trying to understand I think actually how a sketch worked at Saturday Night Live, which I didn't couldn't quite unpack, and I was like, but I was like trying to sort of study it, and I was like, oh, it's just something that like you can hang a lot of jokes on like, like you, you have mm -hmm. this, you have, you have something you set up very easily and you know what all the jokes are. The jokes wouldn't work. Those jokes wouldn't work on another concept. So you just hang all the jokes onto, onto this. And uh, yeah, certainly a clothesline. It's just, it's just that like, I, when I picture it successful, it's just crowded and a clothesline is spread out. <laughs> okay. It's no, I, I can, I, it, it's an easier thing to picture in your mind this crowded code hanger that just feels um, like it's, it's yeah it's it's 
Maybe it's like those kinds of, uh, yeah, I, I, I one time bought a thing where you can put a lot of coat, a lot of like clothes hangers on the same thing. So you can like save more room in your closet. Maybe it's that. Um, and so, I mean, that's, I do think it's a great. Um, it's a great, perfect metaphor. It's, that a great, has no it, it problems. Is. it's, fl- it's flawless. It's absolutely flawless. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, you know, as writers, we, you have lots of ideas and it's just like, well, which ones stick and which ones, you know, and which ones yeah. do you sometimes go and just pitch because you feel like you got to pitch something, but it actually doesn't, you, there's not that many things to hang on it. Um, yeah. And, and those end up being huge problems. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think there is like, there, there are moments when you have, a, I think particularly like when you're sent you know like when you're trying to adapt a book or something like that where, where it's like someone else has come in with the idea and you're like uh i do know how to figure this out but i'm just gonna have to have like faith that i could figure out the episode two because i can't naturally organically or figure out like where this eventually ends up like for me if someone is like presenting me with something it's like uh, if i can like think of like a scene I, I know that I'm on the right track, but then sometimes it is like you are kind of like pretending, you know, pretending you are sure that it's going to work out in the end and you're not positive. Um, I mean, I guess that's what a good writer's room is for, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, when you're pitching a show, I feel like that's always the case, right? You're, you're, it's always a giant leap of faith. You know, you're yeah. acting like, oh, I know exactly how this will work for episode after, episode, but you don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. you just yeah. really, you know, there, there just has to be, okay, there's a kernel here. There's something I feel like I can hook into and then you just trust. Okay. You know, and in this case, you've, you've got enough interesting dynamics and um, which to me is all of it. Right. Especially in a, in a comedy is like, are there good dynamics? Like, are there, you know, combinations of characters as are fun to be had Yeah, and all these different combinations of characters you know so you're, you're picturing like oh a scene be- you know with Kimberly and Charlie or Doug and Brittany you know are there fun dynamics you know yeah yeah characters? this one I didn't have a lot of doubt that there would always be like that I knew the characters worked and you know the big sort of like massive moves between you know like like the larger super structure and you know the 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 sci-fi twist that could happen along the way that I was probably a little less sure about, but I, I knew it would figure out, but, but then, um, but I, but I was pretty confident that those characters all would have comedy, you know, yeah. for, for, for years and years and years. It, it is one of the, you know, you do one, uh, I, I wonder like if this had been at a streamer at that point, instead of, you know, yeah. a network, who is always going to be nervous about any kind of high concept thing. It's why something, you know, a show like The Good Place gets through because Mike Schur happened to be in a point where he could just do whatever yep. he wanted at yeah. that point. Anyone else, I mean, we had a dead pilot on here that was actually very similar in concept to The Good Place, but of course that didn't go because it's just too high concept. Um, yeah. So these things, especially the networks tend not to, the big swings, whatever they tend not to go, the streamers, especially, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's probably why I haven't pitched to a network in a long time. And it's, 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 it's hard enough. It's hard enough to like, try to figure out what you're, you know, tr- try to find the best idea, try to find a show that works and then to, and it's also just hard enough to then on top of that, understand what, 
what a network is looking for. I mean, it, I mean, streamers are <laughs> streamers are very guilty of the you know changing mandates every second, but presumably, you know, you can you wouldn't have to pull back on you know on on um, making a show complicated. I mean, seemingly you can you you can at least try to try to push the the strongest version of your show and see if anybody bites sometimes they do and sometimes and oftentimes they don't but but yeah yeah because you would want to lean into the the complicated nature of Brittany's feelings for yeah. his feelings for charlie you know and yeah um it, it may have gotten into some stuff a network might not have been totally comfortable with can you say where your two pilots you're doing now are set up yeah, I have a pilot at Peacock and I have a pilot at MRC, which is, yeah, which is still, we still have not pitched it to, to streamers, but that's, gotcha. that's where they live. All right. Well, this was really fun. It's a great, it's a great pilot. And I guess I see what you're saying about it would be very difficult to to make now in 2022, um, but I'm glad it will at least live on here. Yeah, I know. I'm really excited. Thank you guys for giving me this opportunity. This was this was so fun. The, everything. Yeah, everyone was great. It was, it was really, really fun to do. Well, thanks for letting us do it. It was great sure. to, to meet you. Always great to meet a fellow Jersey. Oh, yeah. Writer. Where are you where are you from in Jersey? Morristown, North okay. Jersey. Yeah. Not not Springsteen country like you. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the badge of honor we have by being Springsteen country. Yes. The, the pride that, that Freehold has by being insulted in many songs. I know. Did you did you like him or hate him growing up? Oh, it was it was like it, you know, I likened it to like, you know, like paying taxes. Like you had to, you had to love Springsteen. I did. I did love him, but like you had to. Yeah, it was, I rebelled it was, against it. It was everywhere. It. No, I, I totally rejected him in high school. You know, I was just like, no. And and now, of course, I realized his his brilliance. But I think yeah. because of that, because it was so expected that you like. You of course. A, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you had a little distance, I mean, in 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 like in his literal town, like you couldn't you could not avoid it. Yeah. Right. My my mom went to high school with him like you couldn't. You just, oh, really? He's, he's everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Wow. OK, so it's deep. It's deep for you. Yeah. All right, David, this was All great. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, please come back uh, next month. You know, we're going to have another really great pilot for you. Uh, I believe next month's going to be Peak Eve by Lon Zimmett. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. If you like the show, tell someone about it. Tell someone. And then after you tell someone about it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.